chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And we read from verse 1 uh, through, sorry, Luke. Yes, Luke chapter 18. I thought of the wrong place there for a moment. Um, Luke chapter 18, uh, page 1052. And we're reading from verse 1 through to verse 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not to lose heart. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. Well, let us continue to worship God as we present to him our tithes. Well, let's turn in the word of God uh, to um, Luke chapter 18, uh, page 1052 in our church Bible. Many of us as adults will have personal experience of what is involved when it comes to teach a child to learn to ride their bike or even to tie their shoelaces. And no doubt the young people, the boys and girls, will have their memories of both of those experiences. Riding the bike, learning to ride it. How hard it was to keep the pedals turning, to keep your balance, to look up where you were going and not down at your feet, and to ride in a straight line. Seemed a lot of things to accomplish and to bring together at the one time. And many children, whilst learning, will say, I give up. I give up. I can't do it. But then they see their friends whizzing around on their bikes, or perhaps it's the encouragement, even insistence of a parent, and they get on their bike again, and they try until they master it. In our series, We Do Not Lose Heart, we come this morning to Luke 18, 
And we come to the matter of not losing heart in prayer. What a gift of God prayer is. Um, that we can speak to God. Not just that God speaks to us through the Bible. But we can come to him. And now Christ having come. And having lived a sinless life. And died that sacrificial death for our sin. He is our priest. He is our sacrifice. We don't have to go to any special place uh, in order to approach him. We don't have to bring a sacrifice to approach him in prayer. We are privileged to be living in the day when we can pray in any place, at any time, and about any matter. Yet, the reality is, despite this privilege, and despite us having seen Jesus Christ answer our prayers in different ways, and sometimes in very spectacular ways, is it not the case that we can lose heart in prayer? It is not something that any of us no matter how long we've been a Christian, can say, I am beyond it. We can say it's too hard. It's too rigorous a discipline to do as the psalmist talks about, to do as our Savior did, to make God the focus of our lives at the beginning of each day. That through Jesus, he is the first person we speak to. He is the first person we listen to. Not our mobile phones. Not um, Good Morning Britain or whatever other TV news channel um, you watch or listen to as you travel to work. It's too hard. Um, or perhaps we lose heart because we say, well, you know something? The words don't come to me. And um, I am not someone that's good with words. And, you know, I'm just like a little child and comes out the wrong way. So what? Who cares? Does God care? Does Christ care? that our words get mumbled and jumbled and um, they don't come out in the right way? Of course he doesn't. Does a parent say to their child, a toddler, go away and whenever you've managed to get all the words together in a nice grammatical sentence, then come and speak to me. If a parent doesn't do that, how much more will not your heavenly father do that? So let's not lose heart because words don't come out the right way. This little parable encourages us to keep going. Just like the parent encourages the child to keep going when they're about to lose heart from learning to ride their bike. 
Now, just a word or two before we come to our points about being aware of our surroundings. Remember that is a little phrase we used last Sabbath evening. Uh, you say to your children when they're going somewhere new, be aware of your surroundings. Let's be aware of our surroundings in this passage. It's what ministers and theologians call the context. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. And as he travels, he teaches about the kingdom of God. He answers a question in verses 20 to 37 as to when the kingdom will come. And he states, and notice this two parts to his answer, it is already here. It is here in him. It is here, verse 21, in those who believe in him. It's already here. But has not yet, that's the other phrase, has not yet come in its final or fullest form. That not yet will be realized when Jesus comes a second time. So the context is Jesus has been talking about the kingdom, answering the question, emphasizing the already in those who believe. And the kingdom is to be in us already by believing in Jesus. And the kingdom will be fulfilled in us when he comes again. Let's come now to our first point then this morning. And against that background, we ask the question, why, or, or we, our first point is, why we lose heart in prayer? Or if you want it in the form of a question, why do we lose heart in prayer? So against this backdrop, of talking about the kingdom, why does Jesus next talk about prayer? Is this a random thought comes into his mind? Or is there a connection to prayer or between prayer and the coming of the kingdom? And clearly there is in Jesus' life. And there is in your life and my life. If we want the kingdom to come, if we want to become more like Jesus, we need to pray for ourselves that his rule will become more widespread in our lives. The kingdom comes, we've said it many times over the past 14 years, through prayer and the word. And so Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, rose early in the morning to pray and then gave himself the rest of the day to living out the word of God and working out the word of God and teaching the word of God to others. And in the evening, he retired to pray. And that's what we're to do. Begin the day with prayer and the word, then go through the day working out that word in our lives and ending the day with prayer. The apostles did exactly the same. Early on, 
when they took up the ministry that Jesus had given them, they said in Acts 6 verse 4, we will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That was the connection. The kingdom comes through prayer and the ministry of the word. Have we that connection in our lives? That the kingdom will come in us, it will come in others through prayer and the word. And our calling as members of the church is to give ourselves to prayer and the word. And it should strike us as strange and unusual and even a weakness if church members uh, will be present for the teaching of the word, but they will miss the meeting for prayer in the church because both are joined together. And so as we begin our autumn program, let us renew our commitment to prayer and the word. Let's be here at six on a Sabbath evening. Let's be here on a Wednesday at eight when we hold a midweek, twice a month. Despite the connection between prayer and the coming of the kingdom, Jesus recognizes that his disciples may lose heart. Look at what he says. Verse 1, or look at what um, Luke says. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them to pray at all times and not to lose heart. What would you say is the single greatest cause to you to lose heart in prayer? Why, in other words, do you lose heart in prayer? Is it not when God seems not to answer? Our prayers we think go unheard. Or when Jesus seems to be, um, or provides a different answer to what we've asked of him. No doubt you can think of people and situations that you've prayed for or about for years. Perhaps even people for decades for their conversion. And nothing has changed. They're still not converted. It's hard not to lose heart. Or perhaps there is some situation in your life. And you've prayed for righteousness and justice to be done on your behalf. Perhaps some situation in work. Some relationship in the community or in the family and lo and behold to your disappointment the outcome has been the opposite the person who was in the wrong 
gets to go free. And you are in, you are left with the consequences. And you ask, why pray? Why pray? And how hard it can be not to lose heart in prayer when God seems not to answer. Notice the word seems not to answer. Or when God seems to answer in a way contrary to our request. God in Christ answers all the prayers of his people. He answers all of them. But not necessarily in our time or in our way. There is a verse in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 and it speaks to this God says for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord we can think we know the will of God about something or someone and we pray uh, and God has his thoughts and his times and we are to remember that. And when we're tempted to lose heart either because God does not answer our prayers or because he answers in a different way, let us remember not to lose heart because he has his thoughts, he has his times, he has his purpose in all things. And over the years, there have been missionaries, for example, who have labored and prayed, and they have done so a whole lifetime uh, in a foreign situation, and at the end of their life, they've had a group only half the size we are. Why? Well, it's God's hidden purpose. And then, lo and behold, the next generation, there's huge blessing. The church flourishes. The church multiplies. And we need to remember that in our own situation. In terms of the time we've been here, in terms of our size, in terms of our growth, and our decline at times, and the ups and downs of church planting. We need to remember every prayer we pray for every person that God has brought across our path is heard of God. And God will answer that prayer according to his purpose and his time for his glory in Christ. That's the first thing this morning. The second thing is to think about how we lose heart. How we lose heart in prayer. The NIV translation at the end of verse 1 is not the best. 
It reads, and not give up. And perhaps you noticed when I was reading that I changed it, if you were following in the NIV. It is, and not to lose heart. Those are two different things. You can lose heart and not give up. And if you give up, you've almost certainly lost heart. So, and not lose heart is a better translation because the word used means to be utterly spiritless. It's to have the life drained out of us, to be weary, to be faint. And that's different from giving up. The Ulster Scots word thaveless is a good translation. It's where we're without effect, without impact. And in my experience, and I think in the experience of most ministers pastorally, not many Christians give up prayer altogether. And if you did, that would raise questions or should raise questions about your actual relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Because every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them who enables them to cry out, Abba, Father. And no matter how discouraged the Christian is, that should still be their cry. So if we give up praying, that is really, really serious. And it should ring alarm bells. And in my experience, pastorally, not many Christians give up prayer altogether. Is it not more often the case that rather than giving up on prayer, when we lose heart, what happens? What happens to your prayers when you lose heart? When they become humdrum, they're routine, they're lifeless, they're without freshness, we would say they're without bite. We pray the same words for the same people and situations month after month. Indeed, if we weren't, if we didn't pray, in a sense, Jesus wouldn't miss our prayers. And he could recite our prayer to us before we begin because he's heard it prayed so often. Is that not what happens when we lose heart? I want you to think for a moment of a teenager. Hopefully that's not too hard to do. And they have their hearts setting, set on getting their own car. So how do they approach their parents? Do they come in a half-hearted manner? Do they come with a take-it-or-leave-it attitude? Well, it doesn't really matter. No, there's a passion to what they say. To the point that you might think the world will end immediately if they don't get their request. And they will have thought out reasons. Not one or two, but probably about 20. You'll not have to pick me up. You'll not have to be up late at night. It'll save you petrol because you're only doing half the mileage that was done before. And so on and so on. And you're left in no doubt 
as to what they want and why they want it. When it comes to praying for the work of the kingdom, are we like the teenager? Does God know, or does God hear from us, is a better way of putting it, exactly what we want and why we're asking for it? Not for our sake. Remember, prayer is for the sake of the kingdom. And so we begin to reason with God. And we say it's for your glory. And it's so that your kingdom will come. And it's so that people's lives will be transformed and changed and seen as changed. Is there a reasoning with God? Not that we have to bargain with him or cajole him. But because we're passionate. We're passionate about the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And Lord God, I want you to change me to be like Jesus. I want you to change my children. I want you to change my friends. I want to change my neighbors, my work colleagues, my fellow church members to be like Jesus. Is that not what you promised? Is that not what you want? And so there's a passion a loss of heart shows itself in prayer in little breadth to our prayers. Very narrow. We don't see the ends of the earth. In little depth to our prayers. We never get beyond praying for uh, Mrs. Jones's bunion on her big toe. It's not wrong to pray for that. But our outward man is going to perish and is perishing. And we should be praying that Mrs. Jones will be renewed inwardly as she copes with those circumstances. So the loss of breadth and a loss of depth. There's often a loss of boldness as well. The loss of expectancy and a loss of urgency. You wouldn't think that this was a matter to do with heaven and hell. How we lose heart in prayer. Not giving up, but just becoming routine and humdrum. Is that a word to you this morning about your prayer life? Is Jesus Christ saying to you, I want you to pray with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Not just a few words before you rush out through the door in the morning or before you lie down in your bed at night. We have time to do many, many things. To tweet, to post on Facebook, to go on the internet, are we passionate in praying for the kingdom of God? Are we praying for individuals to be saved and pleading with God to do that in their lives?
It is the heart's desire of your Saviour that each and all of you and all of us pray. And as we pray, we're praying always in a kingdom framework. Your kingdom come in their lives, in our lives. And that brings us thirdly this morning. Why you should not lose heart in prayer. Perhaps you wondered when we're going to come to the parable. Will we come to it now? And like every parable it is one main point. And that's why we can deal with it in one point. Why we should not lose heart in prayer. Jesus tells this parable from everyday life. And first we meet a judge. And he is a proper rascal. He's a rogue through and through. He's interested only in himself. And that's clear. That's the only reason why in the end he hears the woman's case. It'll make life easier for him. He's a judge over God's people. But look at verse 2 and verse 4. We're told twice. He neither feared God nor cared for people. He neither feared God nor cared for people. And just as an aside, realize those two things always go together. Perhaps not immediately, but ultimately. Our government has tried to suggest that we can have a nation where there's no fear of God and you will respect people. And we've had that philosophy probably for a hundred years and I ask you, is there respect for people? Is there respect for the unborn? Is there respect for the elderly? Is there respect for the vulnerable? No, when a nation loses the fear of God, she will sooner or later lose her care for people. And if you think about it, you will be able to see that in the lives of other people as well. And then we meet the widow. And being a widow, she is weak. She's poor. She's vulnerable. Because a woman in those days had few uh, protections. And a widow had even less. She is a nobody. A worthless nobody. In that society. In that day. And add to that that she has suffered a grave injustice at the hand of somebody else. Probably something to do with her with property. And what does the judge do? He treats her with utter contempt. Verse 4, he won't even hear her case. And so what does the woman do? She keeps on at him. She doesn't give up. She's like that proverbial stone in your shoe. And you take off your shoe. And you shake the shoe and you think the stone's out. You haven't seen it fall out but you hope it's out. It should be out. You put on the shoe 
And you walk a bit further and it's still there. Well, that's what this woman was like. Probably turning up at the city gate every day where this judge sat. And you could see his head going down and his heart sinking. Oh no, here she comes again. If it had been the digital age, there'd have been a text on his mobile phone every morning and there'd been an email in his inbox every lunchtime uh, and a post on his Facebook in the evening. Don't forget about me. And her persistence eventually drives him to act. Um, Verse 5. Yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. So that she won't wear me out um, with her coming. And that word wear me out is a very interesting word. It's a word that's used of boxing. And it means to make somebody black and blue. In other words, he's saying that she's not going to make my life an absolute and utter misery for the rest of my days by her coming. So what are we to learn from this about prayer? Every parable has one point. So what is the point? Is God like the judge? Is he like the judge? Unjust? He needs to be badgered by us? Got to keep on at him? Now this parable makes its point not by likening God to the judge, but by contrasting God with the judge and parables do either one of those two they either liken God to the main character or they contrast God with the main character and that's what Jesus says in verse 7 and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night How much more? What's he saying? God is a father. God is good. God is righteous. God is just. He is never a second early or a minute late in any of his actions on behalf of his children whom he saved in Jesus. And he delights when his children pray. And he gives good gifts. And he rights all wrongs on behalf of his people. But in his time. And on his terms. Not in our time. Or our terms. Remember what Peter writes. 2 Peter 3. A thousand years are as a day in his sight. And a day are as a thousand years. God's not working in our time frame. God is above time, beyond time. And so there is this contrast. And we shouldn't lose heart in prayer because of who we are and what we are 
in Jesus Christ. And what we have in Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly father who gives good gifts. Who delights to bless. Who loves his children. Who protects them. Who uh, His children are the apple of his eye. And indeed we're called here his elect. And we tend to use that term as well. That makes a distinction between your in and your out. And it does do that. But behind it is affection. You men. I imagine your wife was not the only woman you could have married. There were many women, probably girls around your life. You went through school with girls. If you went into the workplace, there were females around you there at work. Why did you marry the one you did? You chose her. You elected her. Why? Because you loved her. And so behind the word elect lies this affection, this love that we are as precious to God and Christ as a wife is to a husband or a husband is to a wife. God knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. In Christ, you are his child. He knows every tear you shed, every burden you bear, every injustice you endure, every prayer you offer. That's your Father. That's your Heavenly Father. And because He's like that, you and I should not lose heart in prayer. What then about the close of verse 8? Our Father will see that we get justice and all rights will be wronged as believers. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? The answer is no. Things are not going to get better and better in our world. They're going to get worse. Jesus said that in this parable or in the passage before. He said they're going to be like the days of Noah. They're going to be like the days of Lot. And Noah's age was a wicked age. And people mocked him when he built the ark and said there's going to be a flood. People mock us today when we say there's going to be a judgment and there's a second coming of Christ. And think of Lot and Sodom where homosexuality abounded and people gloried in it. And that righteous man tried to keep himself pure and apart from it. And Jesus said that's what it's going to be like. Before I come again, I'm not going to find faith throughout the earth. So where will he find faith? Faith that's not lost heart. He's to find it in you and me, fellow Christian. In our standing like Noah and our standing like Lot in being people of righteousness and Preachers of righteousness and men and women of prayer. So we should not lose heart in prayer.
Why? Because the kingdom that is already here is not yet realized, but it will one day. And all will get sorted. And until that day comes, we're to be righteous men and women of prayer and of the word, impacting the world around us like salt, keeping it from corrupting, and like light that brings, um, that penetrates its darkness. And in a sentence, let's think of the application of this to our outreach over the next days. Perhaps you're saying this morning, have we not done this before? Over 14 years, distributed literature, gone out into the public place, knocked doors, have we not done it before? And what have we seen? We do not lose heart. Why? Because Christ is on the throne. And Christ is bringing his kingdom. Yes, even in, in every person that takes the leaflet and throws it into the bin. In eternity, they will be accountable for having done that action. The kingdom is coming this week. In all that we do and as we pray. Amen.